Hey everybody, quick note before we begin today, the Good Life EDU podcast is typically a weekly podcast, but this week we're going to bring you three special episodes, all as previews for the Future Ready Conference that's set to take place next week on June 15th and 16th from 9am to 12pm. Uh, each of those mornings there is going to be a keynote speaker followed by a series of breakout sessions via Zoom uh, and the conference experience is virtual and free and so we'd love to promote that. And so you're going to get a chance to hear a preview of three different sessions uh, that will be presented at that conference through the podcast this week. So we would encourage you to go to the Future Ready Conference page uh, to register. You can access that by just searching for it on Google or by going to bit.ly slash capital F, capital R, capital N for Nebraska, Nebraska. So that's bit.ly slash FR Nebraska. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the pod today. And I'm uh, very, very, very excited to get a chance to visit with Julie Downing of ESU 13 uh, as we're going to shift topics a little bit. First four episodes of the pod were focused in on uh, the idea of remote learning. It was timely. It's what everybody, you know, was at the forefront of everybody's thoughts. And, and I think just as timely and just as important, but a shift in focus today to self-care, particularly for us as educators. But you know, I think also for our families and, and the students that we serve and just thinking about how to be better uh, in those mental health spaces. So uh, with that being said, Julie, welcome to the pod today. So grateful to have you. Well, hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. Yeah. And, and if you would start off by telling us a little bit about a l- little bit about your history and education, but also kind of how you got into this uh, topic of self-care and um, being an advocate for it. So, uh, Julie, go ahead and take the floor for an introduction. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been an educator for about 27 years. I began as an elementary teacher, mostly kindergarten, early childhood. I have lived in the rural parts of our state most of my life. So I'm out here in the Panhandle at ESU 13. My office is um, in the northern section of our Panhandle at Shadron State College. So go Eagle Nation. I actually worked for about 15 years in a classroom and then I came over to the ESU. So I mostly known for working with curriculum and school improvement and, you know, assessment and those kinds of topics. But, you know, as life, as life rolls out, you have experiences that sort of lead you down a path. And one of those experiences has been this kind of journey into self-care, which is kind of a rising topic in education. So. Yeah. And particularly at a time now when uh, so many things are, there's just a lot of trauma. (laughs) I feel like in this present moment and uncertainty and in the midst of that, making sure that we take care of ourselves is just critical. Uh, and so, yeah, what um, I know you're going to share a little bit of your personal story, right? Kind of backstory on on what led you to walk down this road. Yeah, so so there is a little bit of a backstory here. I I am not a mental health counselor. I have not one single credential in any of the counseling or mental health work. So you need to just hear this as you know a regular teacher out there just trying to get better and do things well. I call this story the day my eyebrow fell out, or, or maybe it's the, the school of hard knocks and self-care, because my stuff is just really me trying to figure it out on my journey. So I live in the beautiful Panhandle. My husband of 27 years is a state trooper, and we went through a period of time here about two years ago where 
you know, everything is just popping along really good. And, you know, then life hands you some, hands you some struggles. And we got a lot of struggles in a pretty short time. We had attended five funerals of people our age. He had had some death threats through his job that were pretty substantial and required some surveillance of our home for a while before they were resolved. And through all of that, he wasn't feeling well and then was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And he's doing great now. But through that, I really was working hard to just keep everything balanced, trying not to let anybody down, keeping the career going, keeping the kids going. And what happened to me was about six months into that period, I got up one morning and it was a very stressful day and I'm standing in the bathroom getting ready for work and I'm realizing that my left eyebrow fell out. And, and it's funny now, but what really that was, was a, it was a real strong message from the universe to me that I needed to get my act together and I needed to start managing my own wellness in a better way. So I started to get really serious about a couple of things. The first was sleep and nutrition. And, and the travel that was required with my job, because it's very rural out here. We travel a lot. Uh, we're going somewhere every day in service to schools. But I found that I needed a few more strategies than just sort of the physical stuff to kind of keep the real change going. So a couple of things happened for me at that time. I'm part of the staff development affiliate with ESUs, and we were lucky enough to have some training that really got me connected to some resources for teachers and lots of content that I needed. So I landed on four strategies that really worked for me, and I'm super excited to get to share those at the Future Ready Conference in a couple of weeks. Like so the session is called Project Eyebrow, and I'm really going to talk about four of the strategies that really have become part of my life. The other, the other side of that is, is I really want to highlight the work that ESUs do around this. And, and I would say, Andrew, I feel like this has been a rising topic for a while. We do a lot of needs assessments at ESU 13 with our superintendents and principals. And you know, in the first few years, I was a staff developer. So like, you know, eight, 10 years ago, we were talking a lot about unmotivated kids. And then it was kind of the disengaged kids. And then it was, well, they're behaving out of class. And then when there were real concerns about, you know, student mental health. And now what I, we've heard, you know, in the last couple of years is we're really beginning to be concerned about our teachers' mental health. And I have a good friend, she is a counselor, and she talks about, you know, dysregulated teachers cannot help dysregulated kids. So I think it, it begs us to pay attention. And then, you know, this pandemic has hit and we saw some data from Boys Town come out that really identified a spike in that need for mental health services in our state. So I think ESUs have, have kind of a, a niche place for this self-care stuff, um, but I think we are seeing the times change where it needs to be elevated from, you know, something that we could do to something that we really should do. So we had some training with SDA to do self-care modules, and I got to give a shout out to my ESU 10 friends. So Dallas Lewandowski, Teresa Rita Olson, and Susan Evans are the one who, they, they really get the credit for the work because they put together four self-care modules that were like a trainer of trainers for SDA folks, staff developer folks, based on the book Onward, which is Cultivating Emotional Resilience for Educators. It's by Elena Aguilar. She's kind of widely known as a instructional coach support person. Um, but I was able to attend those. And what was super cool about that was at the same time, Dr. Caroline Winchester was able to get the AWARE mental health grant for Shadron. And so what that did is it put some money and some resources right here in Shadron to really work with teachers and kids in a more focused way on mental health. So as part of that, my friend Dana Tewahade was hired and we were able to go together to the self-care training with SDA. 
So what's, what's nice is I can now partner with an actual real mental health counselor and provider um, to provide this training for our teachers and pairs in the panhandle. And the modules are really um, simple. There's one on taking care of yourself. There's one on being here now, being present. There's one on that's really about how to move through change and sustain change. And then finally, one about building community, which I think is even more important as we see what's happening you know, in our world with, with all of the protests and things happening. So I'm really, I'm really happy to do that work and I'm always glad when we get that call. One of the first activities that those gals had us do when we were learning these modules were the origin stories. And I think that's such an important place to start with teachers because your origin story, how you grew up and watched people take care of themselves is how you typically manifest your own self-care. So my origin story is all about you know rural. I grew up in the country, I was a 4-H kid, strong work ethic, don't ever let people down. Celebrations in my family are all about food. <laughs> so, you know, and the fun and vacations in my life were, you know, things like going to the county fair, um, which is a very typical, you know, lifestyle that I still see where I live and work. So in my grown-up life, that turns into, you know, I like work. I, I can lean a little too hard into work and avoid other things. I celebrate with food. So I have to manage, you know, taking care of, you got to eat the vegetables first before you go eat the fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and really looking for opportunities to find fun and have, you know, take a vacation, even if it's a staycation from the hard things in life. You know, origin stories are important and we all, we all love our stories. So I don't know, what's your origin story? <laughs> yeah, I, I similarly grew up in a really, uh, a fairly small town. When I say really small town and I say 3000, there are some people that scoff and go, I grew up in a town of 300. Uh, and so I think there's something to that, but, but the small town living definitely extends into those, you know, <laughs> 3000 person towns like the one I grew up in and my entire extended family. Yeah. lived very close by and, it really, for me, I would say that my my upbringing was similar. My dad and my grandfather, who I'm named after, so I'm the third Andrew Easton, that is also a teacher and a coach at one point in time. Uh, and so I watched as my dad worked uh, a second job to support us. You know, he'd be working nights and doing different things uh, and be a teacher during the day. And his work ethic was one that I sometimes emulate. He used to always say to me that tired is a state of mind and that you can power through and go without sleep if you really um, believe in it. And I think I've taken inspiration from that in unhealthy ways, I think sometimes to kind of stay on the self-care note. And yeah, a lot of the, a lot of overlap, I think, with what you talked about. And, and don't get me wrong, I credit a lot of positive traits to, to that upbringing as well. But uh, yeah, everything in moderation, you know, there has to be a balance. For sure. So, so that's kind of the backstory and kind of where I sort of came through the ranks in this topic. And then we fast forward to 2020 and we've got the COVID pandemic happening. And what we did at ESU 13 was we immediately put out just a networking opportunity for our teachers and we called them virtual teacher lounges. And we just kind of put them by topic and said, come if you can, y'all come if you want. We don't really have talking points or agendas. We just want to hear what your, what your issues are and, you know, to see if we can help. And it was in those virtual teacher lounges that I started to hear, you know, what you talked about, just the real kind of stress and trauma and things that were happening to teachers that were hard. And I was able to say, you know, I've lived through maybe not a pandemic, but I've got some, some life experiences from the School of Hard Knocks that I, I have some strategies that might be helpful. So 
those are the strategies that I shared and we got you know really strong feedback from our teachers that they were helpful and they continued to come because they found a network and they found some support so yeah. that's what I'm going to share at the conference probably in more depth but they're part of my life every day now well as you're talking about that I think it might be healthy too to just sort of identify some of the different maybe reasons why this this move to remote learning brought about such stress you know I think that it's nuanced and sometimes uh, if you don't untangle why you're feeling that thing, <laughs> then it's hard to address it. I know that's maybe a topic we can get into a little bit more, but I, I did I had seven different friends who said that who are educators who said that they've reached out um, to a mental health professional since March. Uh, and and so there's a number of different factors that weigh into that, right? And I think part of it, and I'll let you add to this list too, if you don't mind, but there are some people as educators who are wired to be people pleasers. Right? And, and we're nervous whenever an administrator comes in to observe our class because we want everything to be perfect. And now uh, every family had a window and an insight into you at your most frantic <laughs> moment in trying to move to this online space. That is a major stressor, right? I, and, and I don't know too how many educators out there are parents as well and had to kind of go through this whole move along with doing the remote learning with their own children at home. Uh, and I know as someone with a nine-year-old and a six-year-old that the challenges that that posed were a, a stress that you just couldn't really get away from. And I, I'm, I still feel that in some regards that if I'm working, I feel like I should be with my kids. And if I'm with my kids, that work piece is sitting over my head and there aren't really bins to put the things I'm invested in uh, into and firmly let them live in those spaces. It feels like on a regular basis. And so those, those might just be two of the many ways in which people are experiencing these. Julie, from your perspective, um, yeah, what are some of those factors that are weighing in? Well, I think one of the factors was just that it's it's what you've labeled it. It was kind of an emergency. It, it was kind of a hard pivot into that environment. And I think when it first sort of started to kind of bubble, people were like, oh, this will just be a couple of weeks. And, yeah. and very quickly, it was, we're kind of going to be in this for the long term. So it was a pretty hard pivot for people. Um, so I think that was one thing. I think technology was done wanting for some people, uh, access, um, and, and we're people, people, right? And I think there was a lot of just missing the connection of the networks and the relationships you have with the other grownups in your building and with the kids and with the families. And as you said, you know, the, the nuances and the layers of, I'm trying to work eight hours from home, but I'm also dealing with hungry kids and dogs that are barking and my husband needs to go to work. And right. so there was just a lot. And there wasn't, every day was the same. There was no way to really break it up and feel like you could get relief from it. Well, and yeah, and I would even add to this too. I know that one of the, in my work with personalized learning and, and professional development with teachers, I'm sure you're aware of also, is that there's this perfectionism that exists within our profession too. <laughs> that and, and I don't want to call it control because that sort of brings a little bit of a negative connotation, but there is a certain degree of classroom management and intentional instructional design that, that lead to a comfort and a familiarity that allow us to, to do our work optimally. And wow, did we not have all of those things that make us feel like we're able to be effective, you know? <laughs> and, and, and teachers by nature are planners. And as you know, because everyone's lived through this, the guidance we were getting was sometimes changing by the hour. So it felt like a landslide for a while, just out of control. And I don't know, I don't know who to be or where to be or how to be. And I think, you know, everybody was struggling with that at some level. And then well, just the, just the general, you know, kind of worry about, will we get sick? Will my kids get sick? What will happen if this hits my community sort of things? So there was, there was not just one thing. I think there were many, many things and many of us 
you know, had a lot of those factors. Oh, absolutely. And even, even we're reflective by nature, right? And so we're probably mm -hmm. in our own heads this entire time having this conversation and running from topic to topic. And so with that as the, the backdrop, what are some strategies maybe for helping to stay well and have, have a positive mindset uh, in the midst of such adversity at the present time? Yeah. So again, I'm just going to say, because I'm not a credentialed counselor or mental health provider, you, you need to hear this not as professional advice, but just strategies that, you know, work for your friendly staff developer. For me, they're easy and you know what, you're welcome to take them and use them. And if they don't work, delete them and get some other ones. But these were ones that sort of rose when we were talking to our teachers as, as ones that were helpful um, and that we brought forward in quite a few of our groups. So the first one is really about feedback because we were in a position where we were doing things for the first time that we'd never really done before. And one of the things that helped me kind of move through some of the, you know, struggles with the eyebrow was getting a real clear idea of what feedback I needed and how to take it. And at the time, um, my friend Rhonda Gindredi, SU1, recommended Brene Brown. So I read some of her work and she talks about this quote in a lot of her work if you've ever watched anything from her on YouTube or any of her podcasts, she uses this quote, and it comes from Theodore Roosevelt, and it talks about critics. So I'm just going to read the quote for you because it's, it's really a beautiful quote, and then kind of talk about the outcomes of that. So here's, here's Theodore. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deed could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. And for us, that's, you know, in this arena of emergency remote learning, mm -hmm. whose face is marred with dust and sweat, who strives valiantly, who errs, comes up short, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, great devotions, and who spends himself in worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails, daring greatly. And I think that says so much about what our teachers had to do during this time. They had to be courageous. Ugh. So I thought you just choked up just <laughs> hearing that. And I and Julie, I'm gonna I'm gonna spin this forward too. And and I I realize that it's June and we we are taking a breath right now, but I don't think that that statement becomes any less applicable as we enter the fall. Uh, and, and so on a, on a self-care mental health podcast, maybe I don't, I don't, I shouldn't use that four letter word fall, <laughs> but it, it's going to happen and it's going to take, uh, I think another, another round of efforts. And so I think that, yeah, this is a timely message for now, <laughs> right? Because I do think that, that, that second effort is coming and, uh, it's going to really ask us to delve deep within ourselves to connect with our why for what drives us in this work. <laughs> Absolutely. So thing one about that is courage takes vulnerability, right? It, mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable to do things that aren't safe and aren't well-planned and we don't know the outcomes. But everybody wants to be connected. Everybody wants to be seen. So you have to be courageous. You have to go out there and try. And we saw so many examples of teachers doing that and parents doing that and our administrators doing that. So if you want to be courageous, you have to be a little bit vulnerable. And that is not weakness. The second thing is, you know, if you're going to be courageous and vulnerable and you're going to go out there and do anything in life at all, if you're showing up at all, you're probably going to get your butt kicked at some point. Yep. And this is where teachers really resonated with this because we, we talked to teachers who were, you know, they were getting some ugly feedback 
from the Facebook chatter and the Twitter chatter and and it felt awful because they were trying so hard to do the right thing if they only could figure out what the right expectation was. And when Brene talks about this, she says, you know, this is the thing that really changed in me when I read this quote. And, it, it, and it's this, whatever your arena you're in, if you're not in the same arena I'm in, also getting your butt kicked because you're trying to make it better, I'm not interested or open to your feedback. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was really an eye opener to say, okay, I've got to get real clear who I'm taking feedback from and for what purpose. And when the feedback isn't helpful to what I know is courageous, I need to drop that at my feet and step over it and move on. Right. And that was just really powerful for teachers to hear um, that they do have the power and the choice to filter some of that um, and to keep their eye on the main thing, which is getting better at this remote learning piece. So we had lots and lots of teachers resonate with that. And, and you can find Brene if you Google, if you Google Brene Brown, the critic doesn't count, you'll get all kinds of YouTubes and videos. And she tells that so much better than I do, but it was something that really, it helped our teachers during remote learning. It helped me through the MS diagnosis in my home. You know, when people have all kinds of cures for you, like essential oils and things to say, <laughs> I know your intention is great um, and I appreciate the love, but I'm going to drop that at my feet and we're going to continue with our care plan. And, and we did, and you know, everything turned out great for my husband and he's doing fine with his care plan. And I think it also helps some of these teachers say, I can let some of that Facebook chatter go because it's just hurtful and mean, and it's just stuff people are slinging from the cheap seats. Right. And I'm going to go over here and get the feedback that I need to be better at what I really need to do, which is serving kids. Oh, and as somebody in the arena, I've never been prouder to stand next <laughs> alongside the folks in education um, as I was through this time and the, the valiant way they responded to it. Yeah. So, so another thing, you know, if you're going to take feedback and you're going to, and you're going to be purposeful about looking for feedback, you've got to find um, the right people. And so Brene has another strategy called the square quad and it, and it's very simple. You get a one inch by one inch piece of paper and you write down the very short list of people who you can be with in your whole messy, vulnerable, amazing self, and let them be your guide. And these are people that have to love you enough, like Brene would say, to pick you up from the face plant, remote learning or medical diagnosis or parenting or whatever it is, and dust you off and say, yep, uh, that sucked. You really screwed that up. <laughs> um, so let's dust you off and figure out whether we need to repair this, forgive this, how do we move on? So these are the people that stand in solidarity with you in your mess until it isn't messy. They help you rise. And we yeah. need to find those people and we, need to, and we need to identify to them that they are on our square squad and this is what we need from them. And I have some great square squads in my life. I have a wonderful principal friend who she's my living in the truth. When I just need to hear the hard truth, I get feedback from her. I have a great personal friend who's a teacher and she's the one who always reminds me to, you don't get to unpack and live there, Julie. You still have to move on. So we need those people. That's finding your tribe, your PLN, your know, department, hopefully, or at least that, that happy hour group on Friday that you <laughs> commiserate with uh, when we're in session, at least uh, in different times. But uh, And we heard over and over again from our teachers that they just needed to find their squad. And so much wanting to connect you know, when we couldn't be together, but wanting to connect. So we all needed to find a new way to get that feedback and forgiveness and support. And empathy, right? And knowing that, that um, you're not alone in what you're going through and that someone actually 
not only can sympathize with that, but understand on a level that you can feel understood. Yeah. So thing one is, you know, get your, get your head around feedback and decide mm -hmm. what you need and what you don't need. Thing two is find that square spot of people who keep you on the right path and will stand in solidarity with you till you're not a mess. <laughs> and, and the next thing is really, you have to, you have to get uh, clearly identified emotions. And this, this work kind of came to me through a couple of people. Abram Hicks is one of the people that I read um, and Gabby Bernstein is another one. And they talk about most people kind of operate from four emotions, happy, sad, mad, depressed, right? Like we all know those pretty well. But what was a new learning for me is there's really about 22 emotions that we live in and we're not real good at identifying them when we're in them. So I spent some time studying the emotional guidance scale and you can Google that and I have a graphic of it when we do the session for future ready. But there's a lot of emotions and you have to move through them in step. So the strategy is called choose again. And I'll just describe one experience. So when this COVID thing happened and we had to go to emergency remote learning, a lot of us felt pretty powerless. Well, that is the bottom rung of emotion to feel powerless, desperate, despair, fearful. And we felt, we felt all those things. And so the strategy says you need to choose one emotion above that. So I chose jealousy. I decided I was going to be jealous of all those people who didn't have to live in remote learning. <laughs> Which, and, and you're saying to me, Andrew, well, you don't want to be jealous, Julie. That's not a good thing. But you have to think of it like this. Being jealous is better than being powerless. Because mm -hmm. from jealous, I can then jump to maybe discouragement. And feeling discouraged is better than being jealous. Right. And from being discouraged, I can jump to maybe I'm just overwhelmed today. And once I can sit in overwhelmed for a while, then I can get maybe up to, all right, I'm kind of bored with remote learning. I'm getting some things going on with this. I'm, sort of, I'm starting to learn. Then I can move into the, the top of the scale where I'm really at wellness. And I can say, all right, I have some hope about this. I'm kind of optimistic I can pull this off in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, so choosing again, you have to sit in an emotion above where you're at till you can choose above where you're at. And you just keep choosing until you get to a better place. That's what I love about this. And I had not seen this prior to our conversation, uh, this emotional guidance scale, but I have seen lists before that will put 50 different words to describe how you're feeling, you know, on a page, but to actually create a hierarchy here with an intentional uh, leveling up <laughs> uh, for you to aim for, I think makes sets this apart from things that I had been exposed to in the past and, and really adds a functionality to that thinking with, with some direction. And so, yeah, that's, uh, it's a, a tremendous yeah. piece, that emotional guidance scale. Again, if, you, if you're not familiar, check it out. Yeah, and teachers grabbed onto this for themselves first. And then they said, and I'm going to teach this to kids. And so, I, you know, there's a lesson plan to do that. I just think it's a, great, it's a great tool to really identify the right motion because we don't have four, we have a lot. And, and as my good friend always tells me, member of my square squad tells me, the thing about it is, is you cannot unpack and live there. You've got to keep stepping into the next day in a better frame of mind. So that's Absolutely. the third strategy. The last one that is really a part of my daily, daily self-care work is find a mindfulness practice. Now there's a lot of them out there. I mean, there's a lot of people who like yoga. There's a lot of people who meditate, do breathing exercises. I don't really do some of those things very well. My mindful practice is really about gratitude. And I try to start trainings, meetings, whatever I'm doing with gratitude. 
And I also do a little bit of journaling and you're like an English teacher guy. So this will make sense to you. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm really struggling, like trying to make sense and get clarity on something, if I write about it, it just seems to lay down straight and make sense to me in a quicker way than if I just keep spinning it in my brain. So I do a lot of gratitude and some days the gratitude is easy and it comes with sunshine and a cool breeze and positivity. And sometimes it comes through gritted teeth. Like I'm glad I have toothpaste, you know? <laughs> right. but, but you just try to find a way to say I'm grateful for something every day. And the other thing I do is I, I've subscribed to a lot of podcasts and a lot of resources to sort of keep yep. my Twitter feed and my news feed and my, the loop that I'm listening to kind of chock full of this stuff to just keep me on track. Mm -hmm. So I, I listen to a lot of Brene Brown. She's got a new um, podcast called Unlocking Us. I've read a couple of her books. Rising Strong was a great one. Daring Leadership was a great one. Um, Tina Bugren, Dr. Tina Bugren, I love Tina Bugren. She's been in our state. I know she's done some work with ESU 7 and ESU 10. She wrote Taking Time for You, which is a book targeted for educators. Um, I follow her more on social media because she does a lot of little challenges and she'll put out like a daily challenge that says, you know, clean a drawer today, which is right. an amazingly, you just feel so accomplished when you clean this little drawer that's just a gallum offering and a mess in your house and now it looks good and it took you 15 minutes and you know, you can be grateful you have a clean drawer. I also follow Lonnie Watson, who's our Shadron High School Counselor of the Year here. She has a podcast called The Healthy High School Counselor and the Cardinal Cast. And she talks a lot about healthy lifestyle, exercise. Um, she does a lot of stuff for our high school parents, um, which I have two kids in high school. Well, one headed to college and one still in high school, just on how to, how to parent in some of this digital and remote learning period that we're in. So that's what I do. I just try to stack up what I'm listening to and what I'm, my appetite is with, with this kind of positive thinking. All of that certainly is mindfulness. And I think the other word that I, and I like this word a lot too, is just intentionality, because I think that it takes being intentional about being mindful <laughs> to be, make that a habit. And I think that that's even, uh, you know, just the, the little micro goals um, sort of promote that, that same type of thinking as well. And I'll share this because this was a pretty powerful tool in the classroom for us this year because I'm with you. Gratitude is paramount. A few years ago, I did one of those um, one word resolutions, you know, New Year's resolution, uh, and mine was gratitude. And I put down, I want it to be the, the mindful appreciation of life as you live it. I want to put like a definition with my version of gratitude. So it wasn't that, oh, I'm so grateful for what happened a week ago or that I'm, you know, grateful for something that happened in my childhood. Like I, I want to be presently grateful for the good things that are going on. Uh, and so that sort of carried over into practice in the classroom where, well, first with my kids, where we started to do a love and a learn every day. Have you ever heard of this before? So at the end of the yeah. school day, uh, we would get in the car and I'd always ask, how was your day today? And I'd get the same answer that most parents get. Fine, cool, okay. You might hear about the field trip they went on, you know, if they were really jazzed about it. But for the most part, most days were most days. And so now when, when we get in the car, my kiddos and I will talk and I'll say, what was your love and what was your learn? And so they have to share something that they did and sort of academically pick up. And sometimes it's even a, learning a lesson from situational things with friends or, uh, you know, it, it doesn't always necessarily have to be content driven, but uh, the love starts to speak to the things that fill their buckets. And I really appreciate that. And so I thought to myself, what does this look like if we start to do this in a high school setting? And uh, and we got to a place where we did this uh, once a week 
um, with my seniors. And so you're like, gosh, those kiddos, are they really going to want to do a love and a learn at 18 years old when they're too cool for school? And like anything else, you know, the onboarding was slow. It took a little bit for them to kind of warm up to it. But once they started to see the value of shifting their mindset from passively experiencing life to intentionally looking for the things that they should be learning and the things that they should uh, recognize that they do love about their day, it was transformative. And, and I think that those are the kind of just simple practices that, that could be integrated um, for anybody well, moving forward in a remote setting or otherwise, that particularly coming out of this time, I would imagine when school, when kiddos go back to school, not only are teachers going to light up um, from those interactions, but I think students are going to be more grateful for education than they've ever been, at least for a couple of weeks. I get to buy us like a little bit of that, that initial move back. Uh, and I love that love and learn approach uh, to try to teach people the very things that I think you're kind of getting at there with that, that uh, mindfulness piece. Does that align with what oh, you're thinking? Yeah. I, I live by a principle that says you get more of what you pay attention to. Yeah. And if you go out in the world and you look for the gratitude, you'll find it. If you go out in the world and you look for the sadness and trauma, you'll find it. Um, and I think that applies in all of education. You know, if you look in your classroom management, if you look for the, the places where you're getting it right, you'll find more of that. Mm -hmm. How cool to think that we can teach our learners that in addition to everything else too, right? And, and trying to carry that responsibility in a, in a SEL sense, perhaps. But uh, I, think, I think we're called to live like that and model that because mm -hmm. um, they're watching us all the time. And I think the teachers are going to be just so over the moon to see the kids. Yeah. The kids are just, the kids are going to soak it up. Well, I, and I'll throw this in there. My, I went and saw my son's teacher the other day because we're friends uh, and he had a book project that finally got put together because there was a delay. And so I went to pick it up and there's a, a preschool happening at the school now. And he see, saw some students that he you know knows and they had masks on. And he said it was really tough to, to get that second hand sort of like, yeah, I'm excited to see you because he couldn't see their faces and they couldn't really see his. But he, he goes, I could see it in their eyes. They were just so excited. Uh, and what a weird time <laughs> this is. And um, For sure. I don't know, it was just an interesting story um, that I think will be a very real experience for all of us here in a couple months. So, I, I mean, I really feel like, you know, you get more of what you pay attention to. And that being said, I just want to elevate this topic for teachers. I mean, it, it's been in our data for a while and it's, it's gotten some light attention as kind of a niche topic. But I think we are now in a place where we need to do more. I mean, we've got to make a time for, for us to connect. We have to make space to do that in our work. I guess I, I don't think that self-care has to be a major grand gesture and a major, you know, life change. Start with something small. You know, decide to walk around your building on your break. Decide to drink water. Decide to add a gratitude a week and then try to do it every day. Clean a drawer like Tina Bugren says. Leave somebody a note of encouragement. You know, walk the dog, even if you have to say through gritted teeth, I have to walk the dog today. But the cautionary tale is this, you know, do, do something. If, if, I'm, if I'm the cautionary tale, do something um, before your eyebrow falls out. Because, you know, when those <laughs> kids come back, we want them to see us with both of our eyebrows, right? <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking some time to advocate for this. And um, I, I was so grateful that we sort of landed on this topic because it's something that I 
just couldn't be more passionate about. And I, I, I love our educators. I love the effort that they've <laughs> expended in navigating this spring and, and understand too the challenge that lies ahead in the fall. And so I hope that we do take some time, particularly right now in June, uh, to recharge our batteries, to um, do what we have to do too, to kind of wrap our minds around <laughs> what's going to come up. I know some people have said it's almost better for them to start to get answers for how they might have to function because they just want the, the comfort of knowing some more things. <laughs> and so whether you need to get away from this entirely or be invested in those conversations, take care of yourself uh, right now. Do those little things. And um, Julie, it's just been great to, to have you on the pod to advocate for that. Well, it's been such, it's been a fun conversation and I just am really honored to be asked and thanks for having me.